For those who are on camera, I'm looking out at the people that have joined us this day, and I am certainly thrilled that each of you have been here, are here today. And for those who are joining us online, we have people that are visiting us today from way far away, from as far as Kansas, Florida, and Kingsley. I just love picking on Kingsley. I have a little gift. It used to be that when you wanted to set your furniture on the floor, you would buy these little glass coasters, and they would fit underneath the, the legs. My kindergarten teacher bought each of the kids one of these, and at the appropriate time, we cut out pictures of ourselves, put it on there, and then put plaster of Paris, and it used to have a little felt on there. It was a paperweight. It was the first gift I ever made for my mother that I remember. As the years went by, each year it seemed, maybe through elementary school, maybe in the intermediate, early in April or mid-April, we would take the milk cartons, if this brings back some memories for you, take the milk carton, open it up, put a little dirt in it, and the teacher would all give us a little seed, which we could plant a flower in there. And it would grow, and we would give it to our mother on Mother's Day. And my mother kept this all her life until she passed away many years ago. And when she passed away, I took back my gift and I have it to this day. And it's been nearly <laughs> years since I made that. <laughs> and this is my annual reading of the poem, The Lanyard, by Billy Collins. And Billy Collins, poet laureate in the United States several years ago, was a teacher in the inner city schools in New York City. He writes, the other day I was ricocheting slowly off the blue walls of this room, moving as if underwater from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf to an envelope lying on the floor, when I found myself in the L section of the dictionary, where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one into the past. More suddenly, a past where I sat at a workbench at a camp by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid long, thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift for my mother. I had never seen anyone use a lanyard, or wear one, if that's what you did with them. But that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life, nursed me as a child, and I gave her a lanyard. She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted spoons of medicine to my lips, laid cold face cloths on my forehead, and then led me out into the airy light, and taught me to walk and swim, I in turn clothing and a good education. And here is your lanyard, I replied, which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones, and teeth, and two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered. And here, I said, is the lanyard I made at camp. And here I wish to say to her now, in a 
is a smaller gift, not the worn truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-tone lanyard from my hand, I was as sure as a boy could be that this useless, worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. I think of Mother's Day, and I think of this gift and how long I worked on it. I have no no comprehension of how long it took me to make this thing, but I'm sure it took many, many, many hours to make this. And it was my gift to her as a young boy, and she kept it all those years. I don't think that really made us even for all that she had done for me through those years. And as I thought of what I was going to talk about many weeks ago as I put my sermon list together, it occurred to me that it was Mother's Day here, May 8th. And in a tribute that will pale in comparison to all of the work that mothers do, that we could talk for just the briefest of moments about a mother's heart. We honor mothers today. It is right and good that we should do so. And our lesson today centers around the scope of influence a mother has on her children. Paul begins our passage as Taylor so ably read today. And thank you, Taylor, for reading those. He begins in verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. And there are four times that Paul talks about that part of his brain that thinks back on the past. And he says, I remember you constantly. That's the pattern of memories that we have, that that we have those well-worn circuits in our mind that bring to remembrance If you mention anyone's name that is known to you, that you will instantly have that picture in your mind. If I'm not dyslexic. It isn't that word that I see, it's the picture of his face. I remember you constantly. He says, I remember your tears. You see, there is power in memories that we have that are so overwhelming for us. And he says, and I'm reminded of your sincere faith. You see, there was a positivity that Paul had when he thought of Timothy. He was reminded. And then there is the promotion of the memory. He says, for this reason, I remind you of all these things. I remind you the memory The memory is so powerful in us that that sometimes they come at us in a way that we simply have to brush them away. They are so thick in our mind, and especially today. And there are some here that are very fortunate to still have their mothers. And there are many among us whose mothers have passed on. It may be that this is the first year that you have without your mother on Mother's Day, but the memories are there nonetheless. We remember, and Paul says, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother and your mother. Isn't that interesting? 
your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. You see, it was a generational thing. If you go all the way back to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 16, you read a little bit about Timothy. And it is so unusual to read about the life of Timothy when you consider that Timothy's mother and grandmother were both Jewish. But Timothy's father was a Greek. And we may, we may not give that much credence. We may just put that in the back of our mind. But it was very important. It was so important that people knew who Timothy was in that day that he took and had him circumcised because people knew that he was part Greek. And if you know your history, you know that uh, it was not a good thing to be a Greek as you tried to mix with the Jews. But Paul overcame that because he saw the potential of young Timothy and the potential that he gained from his grandmother and his mother who made sure that he knew the scriptures. A faith that first witness. And I think about the importance of where the teaching lies in the family. We have an educational system in our modern nation that is unparalleled in the history of the world for what we're able to teach our children. But it is not the responsibility primarily of our education system to raise our children. It is the responsibility of mothers and fathers in this. In book of Proverbs chapter 1 verses 8 through 10, and all of this is in the in your bulletin if you want to look on the outline so that you can look at this later on. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 8 is Solomon is, is speaking as though he were talking directly, face to face with his son. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And really, it, it puts that teaching on equal footing. It's not all just the mother. It's not all just the father. But it is the union of mother and father of being able to teach children. And fortunate is the family that has the mother and father intact. He says, for these teachings, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. And the warnings that come, and I can remember my mother and my father, as they would teach me about there are good kids to hang around, and there are not so good of kids to hang around. And to his child, it didn't make any difference to me. I thought, well, they're all my friends. I go to school with them. But no, my mother and father taught me that there are kids that are better to hang around than others in ways that I didn't understand until later on in my life. Continues on in verse 10 of Proverbs 1. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Remember that... Bad company corrupts good character, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. And I look at Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31, we know beginning in verse 10, is, is talking about the worth of the wife. But here, in verse 1 of Proverbs 31, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him that his mother taught him. And in a way that I can, I can almost hear my mother talking in the back of my head. What are you doing, my son? 
What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing? I often thought that one of the experiments that I could do when I got into high school was in the law of physics, that my mother had a way of getting our attention, in which she never had to say a word. But we had this drawer in our kitchen in which were all of the silverware and wooden spoons. And the wooden spoon was her scepter that she ruled the house with. And when she opened that drawer, with such force, everything went to the back and slammed against the, the back of the drawer. And when it stopped, they all slammed against the front. I, I'm surprised that the drawer lasted as long as it did. But I thought, wouldn't that be interesting to know the Newtonian physics behind this? When she opened that door, and when we heard that, we knew, without a shadow of doubt, she didn't have to say a word, but the sound of that drawer opening let us know, Mom's in charge. King Lemuel, his mother taught, what are you doing, my son? As a king, King Lemuel still had the influence of his mother in his life. It is worth noting, when you read the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and if you haven't noticed this, read them sometime, and it will come up in our, our daily Bible reading, the fact that each king of Judah has the mother listed there. I don't know if you ever realized that, but the influence, but only for the kings of Judah, beginning with Solomon, going on down through Zedekiah. The mothers are listed there. We don't always understand why they were listed. It's not necessarily a genealogical thing, because in the genealogy, typically the fathers are listed. But here we have the influence of the mothers that are there. Those teachings will be as a garland for your head. They shall be a beautiful decoration for you. A graceful. And we think of Proverbs 22.6 and the weight and sometimes the guilt that people feel in Proverbs 22.6 when it says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. We think, well, I can give you some examples of when that has not worked out. But I could give you many more examples of the little idiosyncrasies that we have, that we got from our mothers, our temperament, the language that we use, the way that we do things. Primarily, Jewish scholars believe that Proverbs 22.6, but train up a child in the way that they are to go which means there is a responsibility that parents hold to train up that child. To not say, well, you've heard the saying that it takes a village to raise a child. I agree with that, but I'm not willing to put off the training of children to a village. It begins in the home. And it's interesting that Proverbs 22 ends... Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. And where did that training start? Which that young man is going to serve before kings? Why, it began right in the home. So we look at the, we've looked at the, the memory, we've looked at the mothers, and now we look at the model. 
And Paul writes to Timothy, and I am sure it dwells in you as well. And how could Paul be assured that those things that grandma and mom taught to Timothy was going to carry on in Timothy? Because they had laid the foundation. They did not let the fact that the father was a Greek stand in the way of training up that child in his heritage. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon writes in it, we, we remember when he says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, in verse 1 of chapter 12. But back up just a couple of verses into chapter 11. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Showing how that being young, we think we're invincible. Don't you remember feeling that as a teenager? As, and this is the part where I have to tell children, don't pay any attention to what I'm going to look out the window. Because when I say, when we were young, we would say, I'm going to jump off the top of the garage. I'm not telling kids to jump off the top of the garage, okay? But we thought we could make it. We thought we could fly. We were invincible. I know I'm going to have to send out sticky notes to kids to remember not to jump off that, but, but you know what I mean. But he says, rejoice, O young man and youth. Be happy when you're young, but remember, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. In verse 1 of chapter 12, before the evil day, remember your creator. How would one remember? Some parents think, I'm just going to let my children discover morality, and faith on their own. And I think, good for you. Let me know how that works out. No, I don't say that. It is a shame when parents abdicate that to let their children discover it. There are times to let children discover things. But discovering morality on their own is never a good idea. When they remember the Creator in the days of their youth, it is because precisely what Paul said about Timothy, that it came from grandma, it came from mom. I know that they are in you because your grandmother and your mother made sure that they were, they were there. In Judges chapter 13, when Samson's parents were first told that their that they were going to have a boy and that he was going to be a Nazarite. Verses 3 of Judges 13. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. We drop down to verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Teach us. They had a desire to know how to do it right. And the way of good parenting is available if parents are willing to search it out. Teach us what we are to do with the child. They realized the weight that was on their shoulder of bringing this child into the world and raising it. Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
Moses writes from God, says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it. Dropping down to verse 6, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on doorposts of your house and on your gates. Boy, it sounds like you're going to talk about that a lot. That's what children need to hear over and over. Psalm 78, verse 4. It says, A mascal of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. We remember that passage from the New Testament. It says, Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. That's what we're going to do. That's the model that we're looking at, is that one generation to another, as the psalmist says again in Psalm 145, verse 4, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. One generation to another. I've often heard it said that we are one generation away from apostasy. And I think there's a lot of weight to that. A lot of weight to that. Should we say, we'll just let our children learn on their own. How devastating that can be in just one generation. We back up a couple of chapters in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And read, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Boy, there's the model for Timothy right there. Grandma, Lois, and Mom, Eunice. Gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Paul finishes up his letter. Of all the things that that Paul has to write, he finishes his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3 and verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How great it is that our nation recognizes the roles of a mother in the family. But even greater that we recognize the roles of mother to bring children to faith in the household. And not just mothers, but grandmothers. This multi-generational pattern that has been set before us that we find in the Old Testament and we find again in the New Testament. 
And what a great responsibility it is. And yet the joy that is attached to it, that just as this little gift could bring back the memories in a small way to give to a mother. When I think back of all that my mother did and the sacrifices she made for me, I have a certain amount of regret that I did not appreciate it more. And that may be something that we all feel. Because who could appreciate it as a five-year-old, as a 15-year-old, as a 25-year-old? We look back at the great effect that mothers have on us. We ought to laud and applaud the roles of mother in our church family. Not just one day a year but every day. We ought to build up motherhood in a way that we never forget the role and encouragement to give them all the tools that they need to raise up a family, a godly family, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. If you have had a mother in your life, and who of us has not, appreciate in a physical way, if your mother is still alive, but also in the memory if she has passed on. And try to encourage all that you can, mothers and motherhood, this day. And as we bring to a close this lesson, and it is yours to consider, we want to remember that Timothy's mother and grandmother taught him the scriptures, the word of God. And the word of God powerful as it is to change the hearts of individuals. As powerful as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, as a two-edged sword, so sharp is it. The ability to help us and guide us on our way. As it were, and a light to our way. And that way that we look at today is an obedience to Christ in all that he has commanded for us and the simplest of commandments that he has given in obedience to believe that he came and gave his life for us. Sacrifice gave the best of what he had, his very life. And that faith, the obedience in faith, repent of our old life, confess Christ as our Lord and Savior. And that act that brings us into touch with the blood of the Lamb in baptism. Go beneath the water, rise up to newness of life. The old life is dead, the new life comes to us. The words that Christ taught us to teach on in perpetuity. Till time shall be no more, we shall take that gospel to the world. If you have needs this day, struggles that you have in your own life, make them known as together we stand and sing. God.